Good morning, church family. It's wonderful to be back together. Prone to wonder, wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Today's message is titled Spiritual Heart Disease. This may be the most important message that you hear in your life today. This might be the most important message that you hear. The Lord makes it very clear, the issues of life. It's so clear that I don't want to mess it up, okay? I want to make it very clear, let the Scripture speak for themselves. Well, this is the type of passage that this will raise God to where he already is. In our, it, we just get to see it more clearly, got to see him more clearly. This will lower us to where we need to be. Oftentimes, we could get lifted up. And so this is a, a portion of Scripture that I thought about including in last week's sermon, but it's just too weighty, it's too heavy. We need to dive into the depths of what the Lord is saying in Mark chapter 7. 14 to 23. So that's our portion today, Mark 7, 14 to 23. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there and follow along. I, I'm going to be reading the Legacy Standard Bible. A little bit of context uh, as we uh, go through Mark 7 is that the, the Pharisees and the lawyers, the scribes, were imposing their legalism on, upon the people. And they're focused on the outside. What you do, how well you keep the rules, this is what pleases God. This is what earns God's favor. This is what earns God's pleasure for you. And so the Lord today is, is, is confronting this legalistic idea, and he diagnoses the real issues. The real issues is that all of us have spiritual heart disease. And we're going to see very clearly here. So let's read out of Mark 7. Let's rise if, and as we honor God's word, the treasure that we have in our hands Mark seven fourteen to 23. God's word says this. And after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into the man. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. And if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples were asking him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you lacking understanding in this way as well? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and goes to the sewer. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Verse 23. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this portion of scripture. I pray, Father, that you would soften our hearts to hear from you. Give us a greater view of your grace. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. 
This message is going to be divided up into three portions. Three portions. Portion number one, the misdiagnosis. The misdiagnosis. Portion number two, the diagnosis. The true diagnosis. And thirdly, the cure. The cure. Portion number one, the misdiagnosis. Spiritual tradition. Spiritual tradition. Jesus, like I said, is responding to legalism. And we spent a whole sermon talking about legalism last week. Legalism, in, in other words, is man's attempt to please him, to earn God's favor through rituals and ceremonies. If I do X, Y, and Z, you treat God like a formula. If I do X, Y, God will love me, Z. This is the issue that the Lord is confronting. Turn with me to verse 14 here. Let's have our eyes set on verse 14. And he called the crowd to him again. Hey, I need to confront this issue. This is too big of an issue for me to not say anything. He began saying to them, listen to me. Whenever he says, listen to me, it's like saying, truly, truly, verily, verily, this truth you have to understand. Too much is on the line, uh, uh, not understanding this portion. And he says, all of you, the entire crowd, all of you at Evergreen Baptist Church of St. Gabriel Valley, every single person needs to understand this, all of you, and understand Verse 15, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if he, if he goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Defiling, that's the issue. What would make you unclean before God? What would make you unacceptable before God? What will make you unholy so you cannot be with God? Right? Uncleanness, that's, that's a metaphor. And so this is the issue that the Lord is confronting. And this is so big of an issue because this will determine your eternity, if you can be with God or not. Because truly a defiled person cannot be with God. A common person cannot be with God. An unholy person cannot be with God. This is the facts here. And in other words, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you're performing spiritual malpractice. You're giving a bad prescription. You, you have a misdiagnosis of what the real issue is. And so they enter into Peter's house. And when this is verse 17, the house, that's Peter's house. This is, they're back at home base in Capernaum. Jesus is with the people that, that have seen his miracles. Jesus is with the people that heard his teaching. This is attracting those from Jerusalem to come up and confront him. He's back at home base. This is the same house where Peter's mother-in-law was healed. This is the same house where they gathered together. After doing their tour, now they come back home to home base. Now, th this is the issue here in verse 17. Evidently, the crowd got a message but his disciples, the 12, were asking him about the parable, and they didn't get it, which is an encouraging thing, isn't it? Where we may hear preaching or even hear a sermon or read the scripture and kind of read it and get it, and all of a sudden you forget. I mean, this is, isn't this encouraging where the, even the 12 need an explanation after explanation? And the Lord says, and he said to them, verse 18, are you lacking understanding in this way as well? Of course he did, they were. He knew that. The Lord asked a rhetorical question. Of course he knows that. 
And basically he attacks opinion number one of the Pharisees. He says, do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? And what was the specific issue? Jesus is the Pharisee speaking. Why are your disciples not washing their hands before eating? This is a ceremonial washing. This is not a matter of hygiene. But they're unclean because they didn't go through the rituals. You know, there's a specific way to wash their hands like we talked about. And they're unclean. They're, the, the Pharisees are making a huge deal about tradition. I mean, other things that would make you undefiled were, here. here's a list of them. I just thought this could help us understand. Touching a reptile would make you unclean. <laughs> so some of us have reptiles as pets. That would consider you unclean. Being around Gentiles. I think most of us are Gentiles. I don't know if any of us have Jewish blood, so... You know, we'd be unclean. Touching a dead body, either a dead animal or even human body would make you unclean. Not maintaining the Sabbath standards will make you unclean. Eating certain unclean meats, eating some pork, some shrimp will make you unclean. So there are a variety of things that could make you unclean. This wasn't just about did you wash your hands or did you take the ritual bath in the mikvah? That's a ritual bath that they had outside the temple. This is about everything, about keeping all the external rules. And so the Lord admonishes the, the Pharisees in Matthew 20, 23. says, Woe to you, scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites! Right? You cleaned the outside of the cup and the outside of the dish, but inside is filthy. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but inside you're a dead man's bones. You're full of hypocrisy. Right? And so the Lord is addressing and confronting the issue. This is not an external thing. And so the Lord basically said, all this, all this effort, all of this craziness is like putting makeup on a dead body, right? Putting a fancy suit in a corpse. That's, in essence, what you're doing. You're just making yourself look good, but deep inside you're dead. And in verse 19, I, I, this, this is a plain explanation. <laughs> it reminds me of being in the locker room in some way. It's so plain, it's so clear. The Lord speaks in such a clear way. Why does these outside things not affect us or defile us? Because, verse 19, it does not go into the heart, but into the stomach and goes to the sewer. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Lord says. Very simple. Whatever you eat, whether it's with unclean hands, whether it's a piece of pork, whatever it may be, it goes into your mouth, into your stomach, and out the other end. That's what it's saying. We could, All of us could understand what the Lord is saying here. I mean, isn't this, is this how we treat this today, though? I mean, let's, let's just get outside the church for a second. Let's just examine the culture of our time. I mean, since 2020, it was an explosion of ideas. I think since 2020, the, 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 the external world or outside the church world has gotten more legalistic than even in the church, I think. I mean, issues of racism, issues of... Uh, how, how to define uh, and promote love, all kinds of things. If you don't do this, if you don't post this, if you don't share this, if you don't like this, you're a hater. I mean, there's all kinds of judgments going on outside of us. I was at a, a conference a couple of weeks ago, just, it was a pro athlete's 
kind of a Christian uh, conference, and one of the speakers and was a guy named Ben Watson, and it reminded me of an interview that he did online and with CNN. Okay, it's online. You could Google it if you like. And basically, the the Ferguson County issue was going on. The police officer who killed the black, a black man was uh, not charged with murder or any wrongdoing. Okay, and so there was an explosion of protest, and this was during uh, just the heightened tension of race, particular blacks and whites. And this Ben Watson, who's a believer, he's a Christian man, he's a believer, said this to the, to the lady uh, uh, anchor on CNN. He said, it's not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. It's not a skin problem, but it's a sin problem. He, he goes on to say, ultimately, it's not about more education or more exposure of these problems. I, don't we like to do this? Doesn't, isn't this what the world tries to do to fix internal issues of hatred and racism, anger, all that? It, we, we try to create more laws. Let's legislate this so that everyone will be holy. Right? Or, or let's create more policies so that no more people, people won't be harmed anymore. I mean, in the workplace, some things could be even stifled. I, could, I, can't, I can't even imagine what it might be like in the university settings. For many of us who work in those places, let's get the right politician in place. He or she will get this fixed. I mean, so much external emphasis. And after all, where else will the world turn? I mean, you got to do something, right? You have to do something. But this emphasis on the external only goes so far. I mean, there may be some wisdom. I, 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 we're not saying none of it is not beneficial. There's some, ben- there's some benefits to this. There's maybe some wisdoms here. I, we get that. But that's like putting a Band-Aid on the issue, correct? I mean, inside there's still the issue. I know, just, this is maybe one group. I see my stroller section back there in, the, in my back right. And um, parenting. Let's just talk about parenting here. Okay, I, I got a little time to apply this here. Parenting at times could be some, like behavior modification. Could it not be? I mean, I get it. We have to be referees. We, we had four little ones, a lot of fighting, a lot of stuff going on. And <laughs> we had to be played the ref. I get that. But you know, deep inside, just taking away the toys or not allowing people to watch TV or moving them to a new environment, making sure they're in the right school system. All those things may be helpful, but that's really not the issue. Ted Tripp uh, writes in Shepherding a Child's Heart, I've spoken to many parents who feared they were producing little hypocrites who are proud and self-righteous. Hypocrisy and self-righteousness is a result of giving children a keepable law and telling them to be good, be good. To the extent that they are successful, they become like the Pharisees. Ted Tripp writes this, The genius of Phariseeism, Phariseeism was that it reduced the law to a keepable standard of externals that any self-disciplined person could do. In their pride and self-righteousness, they reject Christ. Wow. He goes on to write, All behavior is linked to attitudes of the heart. Therefore, discipline must address attitudes of the heart. 
I mean, that resonates with me. I mean, as a, as a parent who's still parenting, obviously, our, our four, four children live in our home still. There's like, hey, let's not do that. Let's do this. I mean, there's plenty of that going on in our home. It convicts me to think, how much am I shepherding their hearts? Because eating the piece of pork, yes, it's in Leviticus. You're not to eat unclean meats under the old covenant. Eating the pork itself is not what defiles you, meaning the protein itself. It's not some kind of a spiritual poison to you. The issue is this. The rebellion against God to say, I know God doesn't want this. God has commanded me not to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's the issue. It's a rebellion against God. So if you're parents, even parenting little babies to teenagers, to young adults, it's the rebellion against God is what we're addressing. This is the issue. Otherwise, it just becomes an external thing. Hey, make sure you look a certain way when the guests are over. Make sure you behave a certain way at church. Make sure you're respectful to your teachers. All good things. But if it's just that, then we are raising wise, moral, good people. In other words, Pharisees, right? And this is not what we want. So let's not miss the diagnosis. Let's not do as the Pharisees did where we just focus in on superficial remedies or traditions. This is not what this is about. Let's get to the second portion here. The diagnosis, the true diagnosis. A sinful heart. Sinful hearts. Here's a second opinion. And oftentimes when we go to the doctors for a significant evaluations or procedures, always it's always helpful to get a second opinion. This is the opinion that matters in this case, the Lord Jesus Christ. The real issue, he says, is inside. Verse 20. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. What's inside is what makes you unholy. What's inside is what makes you impure, unclean, common, separated from God. It's an internal issue. It's not an external issue. As Ben Watson said, it's not a skin issue, it's a sin issue. Our hearts are diseased. We have spiritual heart disease. And when the Bible talks about the heart, obviously it's not talking about the muscle within our chest. Right? The heart, the Bible says out of Proverbs 4.23, flow the springs of life. The heart is the command center of a person. This is, is the driving force. Our hearts are the driving force, what drives us. This is what gets us out of bed and motivates us every day. The heart is a seat for our thoughts, attitudes, motivations, and actions. This is who you are, friends and brothers and sisters. The heart is who you really are. The skin is who you want people to think you are, but the heart is who you really are. What does the Bible say? Man looks at the what? Outward appearance. But Yahweh looks at the what? The heart, the heart. Look what happens here. For from within, out of the heart, the command center of ourselves, of man, the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts. Some commentators say put a coal in there, evil thoughts, and here are a list of the evils that the heart thinks of. Sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. What theologians call, verse 21, the description of, of the heart out of verse 21, 22, is called total depravity. 
Meaning the human heart is so wicked. The heart is, is, is just like a spiritual septic tank that is backed up. All kinds of filth is coming out from within us. This is the issue Jesus is saying. Our hearts, Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is sick. It says, Jeremiah writes, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately or incurably sick. The heart is sick. The unregenerate person, the unbeliever has a sick heart. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord says, then Yahweh saw that the evil of man was great on the earth. This is during the flood. And that every intent, every intent, not some of the intent, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a sick heart. This is the condition of a non-believer. If you know, uh, who comes to mind when you think of an unsaved friend or family member? Surely we're evangelizing and trying to uh, encourage people to come to Christ. Who comes to mind right now? And they just keep looking at you and like as if you're crazy. I hear you, but no thank you. You must be wondering, just, did I do something wrong? Did I say something wrong? Sure, you might not have made the gospel plainly clear. That, I've been guilty of that. But at the end of the day, it may not be you. You may be living a genuine life that's, that, that is respectable, it's commendable to, uh, as a Christian. You may be living that way. Your words may be so true. You may be so eloquent in sharing the plainness of the gospel that Christ died for sinners, for their sins, and rose again, and you trust in him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. Well, Matthew 15, 11, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You're dealing with an issue that is deeper than your own selves. You're dealing with an issue that we need to understand that the heart is sick, incurably sick. Here's a statement that may help us understand. We're not sinners because we sin, right? We're not sinners because we sin. Rather, we sin because we're sinners. It's who we are. A leopard has its spots. I mean, this is who we are. This is, we, we, we've been born with spots. And this totally depraved heart, totally depraved person is completely dysfunctional in terms of pleasing God. Not only are we totally depraved before conversion, meaning our heart is absolutely sick and sinful, this makes us dysfunctional as well. Let me read verse 21, 22 again. For from within, out of, our, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. I mean, in some ways, if we understand the mind of the Pharisees, I think Jesus was reading their mail right now. He was looking into their hearts with his omniscient ability and looking into his heart and reading everything and seeing everything that was going on in their heart. Evil thoughts? These Pharisees are scheming to kill Jesus. They're trying to murder him. That's evil. 
This is, this is where perhaps the Lord is even reading the Pharisees' heart, the most religious of people. Romans 8, 7 says, we're hostile towards God because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, doesn't obey God. For it is not even able to do so. The Bible says an unregenerate person, a non-believer, cannot obey God, cannot please God. As a matter of fact, the, this unbeliever is hostile towards God. This is what God's word says. John Calvin wrote and commented on this portion. He said, we are so entirely controlled by the power of sin. We are so entirely controlled by the power of sin that the whole mind, not part of the mind, the whole mind, the whole will, and all of our actions are under its influence. Sin controls us. Sin controls a non-believer. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that a non-believer, a natural person, cannot understand the things of God. Impossible. Am, am I making myself clear here? I, I, the reason why I'm spending so much time cross-referencing is, is that just to prove to all of us and prove to myself, Jesus is making it plainly clear the condition of man. This is a very critical thing if we understand that. And it's really, if you think about any of us in here, I don't know if anyone else has murdered anyone here or committed adultery, raped anybody. I, I don't know that here. There's a good chance not. But it's only by God's grace that we haven't gone that road. It isn't because, okay, somehow we were just separated, we're good enough, we come from a good family. Certainly those things help. Certainly helps to have good examples. Certainly helps to have, be learned and educated in certain ways. I, I get all that. It certainly helps to have the right environment growing up. I, I get that. But it's only by God's grace that we don't go down that road. Man looks at the outward appearance. Yahweh looks at the heart. Let's see what he's seeing in all of us right now. What does he see in us? He read the Pharisee's heart like a book. What does he see in us? Does he see anger in us towards another person? Well, the Lord said you're a murderer, if that's the case, in Matthew. Does the Lord right now see lust in your heart? Well, in Matthew, it says if you looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer, right? Does he see racism in our heart? Does he see pride in our heart? Do we, are we envious of somebody sitting next to us right now? Are we coveting their stuff? Are we coveting their family? I mean, there's all kinds of things that the septic tank is spewing in our minds and, and, and sometimes out of our mouths, sometimes even in our actions. Racism, my goodness, racism. Racism, that, that, that racism, there's only really one race, that's the human race. So we even got that wrong. I mean, that's been going on from the beginning. It's the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. And just to encourage us, if you're evangelizing a non-believer and you're trying to love on them, sometimes that could be frustrating. Children are not believing. Pastor Victor prayed that the children and youth would be regenerate. Parents, hang in there. Be faithful to the Lord. Love them well. Teach them the scriptures. Non-believers cannot help but be non-believers. It's this disease that they have. 
We show understanding when we understand somebody has certain mental disease, certain physical issues. Okay, I get it. I understand. This is a more severe issue than any, any physical issue that you could think of right now. This is an issue that leaves you in a condition that hates God. And I'm not saying a non-believer cannot do any good things. There are wonderful non-believers who do a lot of helpful things, a lot of humanitarian things. No question. But the Lord doesn't look at the results. The Lord is looking at the heart. What is the intent of doing these things? All your good works are like filthy rags before me. The Lord looks at the heart. So let me be clear. I'm not saying even a non-believing friend or family member. I mean, they're, they're not wonderful people. I get that. They are, and there are many people like that. But the issue is the heart. Let me give you one last piece of bad news. This sin condition, we're born into this situation. We're born into this situation. I remember 1984, as a younger, I don't know, I don't know how old I was, but 1984, that was a while ago. I remember at Loma Linda University, Baby Faye was born with a bad heart. And I remember our little class was praying for Baby Faye because Loma Linda did a procedure as a Seventh-day Adventist uh, medical center. And they basically took a baboon's heart and put the heart into this poor little baby born with a bad heart condition. Sadly, baby Faye would die a month later. But it's amazing that she did live that long. I mean, she was born with this issue. And as much as man tried to help her out, she didn't make it. And this is what man is born into, sin. David writes in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. We're born into sin. Romans 5.12 says that Adam passed down the sin virus onto us. Everyone that's born of, of man is, it, it links all the way back to our first father, Adam, and sin has been passed down to us throughout the generations. We're born into sin. It's not your environment. It's not your culture. It's not bad parenting. It's not growing up poor. It's not... Living, growing up in a different country, we're all born sinners. What is the application of all this? I, I just think we need to understand sin more. This perhaps this is not a topic that we talk about often, but it's there. This is the essence, the reason why Jesus Christ came to save sinners it's like you and me. I think this gives us a little bit of peace, too, to understand the world. I mean, if you just open up your eyes, you can see depravity growing more and more and more and more. That's, it's obvious. And really, it should cause us to be more grateful that the Lord has put a, a restraint on evil for so long in our world. Sadly, but confidently, I will say this, the Lord has been pulling back the restraints of common grace. And allowing the cover of that septic tank to be opened up more, so more and more and more filth is flying out into the culture. That's the truth. And before we get discouraged, overly discouraged of our culture, let's find encouragement that this is exactly what the Lord is doing. Because man has turned away from God. 
And when we know that this is God is behind all this, there's a lot more hopefulness in it. The end is drawing nearer, brothers and sisters. And when the restraints of morality have been pulled off, you know that the end is drawing nearer. I don't know when, but it's coming nearer every day. And basically, we're just seeing the effects of sin on our society, in our culture, in our homes, in our school systems, in our entertainment, whatever you want to go. It's all been infected by it. What's the prognosis? We could do nothing about it. Jeremiah says we're incurably sick. We're desperately sick. There's nothing that you and I could do. We cannot give a spiritual heart transplant to ourselves. It's not possible. It's not, it's not going to happen. The Bible has metaphors for an unregenerate person, unbelieving person, unsaved person, however you want to say it. The Bible in Ephesians 2 says that we're dead in sin. We're dead men walking if you're an unbeliever here today. You're, God sees you as a dead person walking. 2 Corinthians 4 forces that we are blinded by the world. Dead people cannot see either. Jeremiah 6 says that we're spiritually deaf. We have uncircumcised ears for those of us who are unsaved. Dead people cannot see. Dead people cannot hear. You can't do anything about that. As much as you prayed for people who who are dying and they end up dying. Apart from a miracle, there's nothing that we could do about it. Well, here's the good news now. Let's finish up with this final point, the final portion, the cure, the cure. Sovereign regeneration, sovereign regeneration. Let's read verse 23 together. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. The cure is sovereign regeneration. There's this term I like us to learn, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I think this is a helpful term. term monergistic. Mono, one way, one. Monergistic salvation, meaning salvation is all from God. 100%, not 99.99%, 100% monergistic it's all from God. And, and I want to just take this last portion and we'll dive into what Brother Steve Chan read out of Ezekiel 36 to see how this works. But I, I, I want us to dive into this here. We've established that the heart is sick and wicked. In, so theologians would call this the order of salvation. I'm just going to rattle off 11 things. If you want to take notes, that's fine. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna tell you at what point in this chain did God save you and me? At what point in this chain did we be, were we resurrected from the dead? At what point in this chain were we given new eyeballs, spiritual eyeballs to see? At what point in this chain were we given spiritual hearing aids so that we could see, okay? I want us to, I'm just gonna march down this 11 and then I'll insert what we're talking about here. The order of salvation. God foreknew you if you're a Christian from, the, from before the, before, from eternity past. He foreknew you. If you're a Christian, no matter how young or old you are, he knew you before you're even created. Number two, he predestined you. He got the plan 
rolling to save you and me who are in Christ. Before we were even born. Number three, he elected us. He chose us. Number four, he sent the external call. External call. For new, predestined, elected, external call. What's that? He sent somebody to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to you. You heard the gospel at what point in your life, whether it's a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a classmate, a teammate, whoever, somehow through the, through the radio, somehow through the internet, God got the message of the gospel to you, the external call. But the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. Many people have heard the gospel, but few actually are chosen. Few are elected. This is all from God, by the way. Can you see this? Fifthly, you receive the internal call. This church family is regeneration. This church family, some people call it rebirth. This is where we get the born-again Christian. This is where we see, I was blind, but now I see. This is a give me ears to hear. This, this is where we get this. This is where I am a child of God now. And then 6 on to 11, I'll go quickly. Then there's conversion. At this point, since we're no longer dead men, we realize we come to our senses, just like the, the prodigal son who comes to his senses and comes back to the father and repents. We come to our senses and like, yes, Lord, I am a sinner and I need you. Repentance and faith. Yes, I believe. The dead man could think and believe now. The dead man could see now. The dead man could hear now. And upon that, we are justified, declared innocent, justified of never sinned, justified of lived Jesus' perfect life. Eight, then we be, we're adopted as sons and daughters of God. We're in his family now. Nine, we're in the sanctification process, and God perseveres us to the end, and then we're glorified ultimately. Monergistic salvation, meaning it's all from God. It's all from God. We had nothing to do with this. And how does this happen? Let me just read Ezekiel 36. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel 36. I want to point something out that's fairly obvious, but I want to make sure we're hearing, or hearing it at the same time. Ezekiel 36. Let's, let's jump down to verse 25. So this is Ezekiel's prophecy and how um, the nation of Israel will be uh, will be given new hearts and be redeemed. But this is a picture of how God works. How does God give us a spiritual heart transplant? This, this is the issue here, verse 25. Ezekiel 36, 25. Look, what, look at how many times God says, I will. Not you will, not we will, I will. This is talking about God. Then, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. Moreover, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And another one, and I will remove the heart of stone from you, your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to do all my judgments or obey my laws. It's I will. God is the one who's done it from the very beginning. So what is the point of all this? Why do we need to know this? 
as was preached by my uh, seminary professor, Dr. Lawson, Steve Lawson, this should cause us to be humble. This should cause us to be incredibly humble and gracious to non-believers. Oh, why, oh, why, God, did you save me? Not to me, Lord, but to you, the glory. Clearly, I had nothing to do with this. Clearly, I was a dead person. Now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. So when we're dealing with non-believers, we should have a compassion and, and a humility. That says, Lord, please be gracious to this one like you are gracious to me. I know that could be hard because I, I spent many years trying to evangelize people I love and it could be frustrating. You just might start thinking, is it me? No, it's them. And it's up to God. Let's be encouraged in our evangelistic efforts. Let's be faithful. The Lord says, be faithful to me and let him carry out his plan and call forth those who he's, he's elected. Maybe you're sitting here right now and thinking, man, am I chosen from God? Right? Maybe you're thinking, for those of us who know, man, you're, you're, you should be celebrating. Yes, praise God. But maybe right now you're, you're not quite sure. And, and you're like, am I part of the elect? Am I chosen? I mean, that's a big deal, right? I mean, it's all up to God. Well, how do you know if you've been foreknown by God? How have you responded to the external call to the gospel message? So in our evangelistic efforts, we don't know who's elect. That's up to God. But how have you responded to the gospel? If you're indifferent to the gospel, if you're hostile towards the gospel, meaning the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you answer that question. For now, evidently, that's what it may look like, that God has not called you, but you don't know how the story ends. Perhaps the Lord is chipping away at that hard heart of yours. Perhaps you're starting to think, wow, I really need to consider who Jesus Christ is. The Lord says this, call upon the Lord, call upon me for the forgiveness of your sins and I will give you clean water to sprinkle you, to cleanse you. I will take that dead heart, that stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to obey me. Make you to obey me. And that's the monergistic work. So if you're agreeing to this, you've been called. You've been chosen from eternity past. If you are rejecting this message right now, we don't know how the story ends. But just know, today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow's the devil's day. Tomorrow's not guaranteed to anybody. Today is the day of the Lord. 
Give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ. Take off the chains and start following Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to preach on Mark 7. Thank you how you make things so clear to us, Lord, that we're sinners and there's nothing that we could do about this. Thank you from eternity past. You, you, you knew us and you're such a personal God that you came to save specifically your people. You came to die specifically for your people. So, Father, I pray for great encouragement right now for those who are evangelizing family members and friends who they dearly love. I pray, Lord, that there will be a special encouragement for their hearts right now, that it's all your work. You're the only one that could do spiritual heart surgery. You're the only one that gives spiritual heart transplants. You alone. And I pray, Father, that we will rest in this, that it is by your will that these things happen, as you say, I will, several times in Ezekiel. So, Father, I pray for encouragement. I pray, for Father, that you will be gracious to these lost people. I, Lord, that you will soften their hearts. Father, that you're, through the various circumstances of life, you will use all this as a mallet to break their hard hearts so that they could see your face, Lord, as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray for people in here right now that don't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray your spirit and your word will be like a hammer and break that hard rock. I pray, Father, that your spirit will turn on the lights in their heart so that they will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that they will be moved to repent and to have faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that they will tell their loved one that they want to give their lives to you, Lord. I pray that they would come alongside the local body and be discipled. So, Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your great love for your people. In Jesus' name, amen.